Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. And this character of Caleb, this character of Chalev, I uh, had a source sheet sent out. But I'm going to read a lot of these texts out loud and have some of them read out loud by you towards the end. So if you don't have the sheet in front of you, you should be able to be a part of the conversation, even listening in. Um, And we're going to start exactly where I pointed out, which is the point in the text when our spies have returned from the land and they are reporting back. And I want us to think about Caleb, this character of Caleb. I think Halev sounds so silly. I, I, I don't know why. When I say it in the middle of speaking in English, it just comes off so funny. So I'm going to say Caleb for um, the duration here. I think Caleb is a very interesting character. And I think he's interesting because he's not Joshua. So partially that's what makes him interesting. Right? He's not Joshua. He doesn't get Joshua's shape. He doesn't inherit the next leadership position among the people of Israel. Joshua gets the next book. The Torah ends and we continue with Joshua, right? So Joshua gets the next leadership position. But Caleb has this very interesting role in the argument that immediately ensues when the report comes back and apparently, obviously, surprises Moshe, disappoints Moshe as a leader, because the idea of having the spies go into the land to report back was not to have them come back and say, "Ah, let's not do this. But that's just about what they say, right? So I'm going to bookend with us reading in English, and most of the sources we're going to try to tackle in Hebrew today. But starting with verse 25, we read... At the end of the 40 days, this is not in your source sheets, I'm just in the Tanakh. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from scouting the land. They went straight to Moshe and Aharon and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. And they made their report to them and to the whole community as they showed them the fruit of the land. This is what they told him. Interesting singular. Hey, that vaisapru lo vayomru. So that's an important directional. Uh, um, that's an important direct object in that sentence because we want to pay attention to who is being spoken to at any point in this narrative. This is what they told him. Probably who? It's Moshe, right? Because they're reporting back to Moshe. Moshe sent them, so they're reporting back to Moshe. So this is what they told him. We came to the land you sent us to. It does indeed flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Right? Ah, here, here's what we brought you back, right? However, the people who inhabit the country are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the Anakites there. Amalekites dwell in the Negev region. Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites inhibit the hill country. Inhabit the hill country. Oh, Freudian, though. They also inhibit and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. That's their report, okay? And then we get this line, which is the first line that I have on your source sheet. Vayahas Kalev et Ha'am el Moshe 
Vayomer Alona Ale the Yarashnu Ota Kiyachol Nuchal La. Let's pick this apart just a little bit. The first thing I want to say is Vayahas, which while there is some clever debate about it, it ultimately just means he settled them, he hushed them. Where is the place in the text that tells us that the people need to be hushed? Nowhere, right? It's just implied. He calms the people is the text's way of saying, because this is spoken by a narrator. So Vayahas Kalev is there to tell us the people were, it isn't pretty, right? To borrow a line from, from Hamilton. They're, they're, this is this is uproar in the camp, right? This is causing a bit of uproar. So that's the first thing, is that we learn from this line that there's uproar based on this report. Vayas kalevetam. So he's trying to calm the people. El Moshe. This word El and El Moshe, the use of El Moshe, is going to stump the commentators. And it's what caught my eye and why I wanted to dig into this verse. El Moshe. What Moshe? What was it with Moshe? Because El is a little bit of a vague um, conjunctive word here. To Moshe, he calmed the people to Moshe, with Moshe, on Moshe, next to Moshe, because of Moshe. It's not clear. We're going to pick apart three different takes on this in a moment. Vayomer saying, like he uh, he said, Alo na'ale, this is the first of two duplicate uses of a verb. Come on, let's go. Let's go up. Let's let's make aliyah, so to speak. Let's go up to this place. The Arash Noatah. We're going to take over it. Kiachol Nuchal, second duplicative. It is definitely possible. We can, yes, we can, uh, would, would say Everett Fox, the translator. La. We definitely, we surely can do it. It is definitely possible. He speaks. Okay. So El Moshe is, is definitely the tricky part here. But I wanted you to hear Sporno's basic take on it first before we just dug into it. I'm going to read it in the Hebrew, and I'm happy to have you, any of you, leap in uh, from Zoom here. And people may be watching on YouTube as well. I'm happy to have any of you leap in at any time, but I want to pick these apart in the Hebrew because I think they're so excellent. And we'll go through them in the English as well. I want to go through the first part of Sporno and then get to the Sporno on El Moshe itself. So here's Forno on this first part on the Vayahas Kalev. Okay. Hishtik et ha'am shehayu matchilim me'az latet kolam, kemo she'asu achar kach, kamru v'tisak kol ha'eda, v'yitnu et kolam. So he, he, he quieted the people because they'd begun to raise their voices, right? So he needs to comment on this because, remember, the text didn't tell us that people had been all riled up. So Sforno saying, yeah, yeah, we get it. People started to get all riled up because they started to raise their voices, right? And then they, and then Sforno quotes another place in the Torah just a little bit later when people started to raise their voices and cry the whole night. That seems that it, it is a related verse, like a proof text, okay? To say, this is what our people did. They started to lift up their voices in a similar way. And then he goes on to this Al Moshe piece. So 
Why El Moshe in this? Couldn't it have just said, Vayas Kalevata'am Vayomer, right? He hushed the people saying, let's go. Couldn't it have just said that? Why El Moshe? Why stick that in there? Because he was quieting the people. So why Moshe in that verse? Sporno says, Sheishme'u mayashiv Moshe. He quieted the people so that they would hear what Moshe would say in reply. Right? Sporno said, this wasn't about what Caleb was going to say. This is him quieting the people to say whatever so that Moshe would be able to say something. He wanted the people quiet enough so they could listen to Moshe. So Caleb saw his job as what? You all look like a very quiet bunch. It's eight, eight o'clock, like Minchamari. This is a tough hour. But if you feel like saying something, you can chime in. What did Caleb see his job as? Because this is only going to build. Larry's going to try to jump in on this. Uh, but Larry cannot unmute. Let's see if Larry can unmute. Okay. There we go. Okay. Thank you. So uh, I'm reading my birthday present, which is a. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, yes. Which is uh, Legends of the Jews. So it says, as soon as this, uh, this is Louis Ginsburg, who actually is compiling all the different Midrashim and um, the stories. And he says, as soon as the spies had completed the report, Joshua arose to contradict them. But they gave him no chance to speak, calling out to him, by what, but by what right dost thou, foolish man, presume to speak? Thou hast neither sons nor daughters, so what dost thou care if we perish in our attempt to conquer the land? We, on the other hand, have to look out for our children and wives. Joshua, therefore, very much against his will, had to be silent. Caleb now considered in what way he could manage to get a hearing without being shouted down, as Joshua had. Caleb had given his comrades an entirely false impression concerning his sentiments, for when he, when these formed the plan to make, to try to make Israel desist from entering Palestine, they drew him into their council, and he pretended to so, agree with them. So hang on, before you, before you get to that, to that, it might be a spoiler for the best part of, of these commentaries. So hold yeah. tight on that commentary, because I bet he's going to bring that fantastic piece that I'm going to bring you from Sota. So hold, hold tight, because I bet that's where he's going. But what you gave us is exactly what I'm looking for now. That is what he saw his job as. That's exactly right. But we're about to find out if Ginsburg set brings what I'm only stopping you so you don't spoil the, the last um, uh, uh, the last source. But absolutely, that's exactly what he saw his job as. And what I love about what you said is it's differentiated from what Joshua saw his job as. Right. And also a great bridge into what we're going to look at next, which is who the heck was he to speak? Right. The people are actually going to question if he has the authority to even get in there and speak. So we'll get there next on, on what El Moshe could possibly mean. It's like it's almost like Ginsburg and I saw these sources in a very similar way. So Kivanti, um, thank you for that. Tybal, did you want to add something before I go to to the next source? Um. I don't know. This was before Larry spoke, so I'm not sure if that's where you're going, but I thought of this analogy that he was the Robert's Rules of Order guy. Yes. Okay. So I like this. So he, so maybe, maybe Caleb sees himself as the, 
as the, um, you know, this is who needs to, to speak next, right? So Sforno's take on this is he's shushing them. He, he, he says, you know, I need to put this motion on the table, right? I think we need to go because I know this is the motion that our leader has asked us to put on the table. Now you all need to hear him out. I like that. I like that a lot. That's very helpful. Okay, good. So now we're going to go to the Or HaChayim on, on this piece. And we're going to take a look at this idea of, of Caleb having silenced the people. And before we, we do it, having silenced the people in a very strange situation, I think we need to picture what's actually happening in the scene at hand before this makes sense. Remember that this is like a small dozen bunch of spies coming back to an enormous crowd, right? A huge crowd of people. Hundreds of thousands of people they're reporting to. This is a huge event that they're reporting in front of. This is not a private meeting by any means, quite the opposite. So the Orchayim sees the El Moshe in the verse. This is the inciting phrase. They see the El Moshe in Vayas Kalev et Ha'am. They see the El Moshe and they see, and they say, Perush Lefisha Ein Koach Ba'adam Hediot Leashtik Hamon Sheshme Odalef Lazeh Ba Bimamaro Kihu Mashikim El Moshe Velo Ligzerato. So what they're saying, um, well, actually, let me keep going in the next little verse. Viadu Akimosha Melech. Okay, pausing there. So he explained that the explanation of this is it's because a regular person does not have the strength to quiet down all these hundreds of thousands of people such as this with a regular old speech, just, you know, quieting them down. So the Torah here adds these El Moshe words to let us know that he did this in order to make them listen to Moshe and not to himself. And we knew that he was inspired. Um, he inspired them to listen to um, to uh, Moshe um, by saying like this, you know, uh, li- this is on behalf of Moshe. So then it brings a quote that tells us, um, uh, hang on one second, um, uh, flipping the page. Um, so he brings us a quote uh, to prove that Moshe is like, it's as if he has the, the rank of a king among his people, and therefore the people would quiet down for a king. And he also says, And let's go, he um the Orachayim's looking at that next part of the verse, and let's go ahead and let us um, go up and uh, conquer um, the land. And now, having now that he sort of invokes this authority that Moshe has, he can say that even though the other spies said they can't overcome it, 
he feels like the Israelites are able to prevail, but he can only say this once he's taken on the mantle of saying, this is, this isn't just me, Caleb speaking. This is me speaking with Moshe's authority on my shoulders, right? Standing next to Moshe. So this, it can't just come from Caleb. He can only silence them if he's basically silencing them through the mask of Moshe. The Torah doesn't think it can happen only on Caleb's authority. So that's, uh, or rather, or Chaim doesn't think that that can only happen on, on Caleb's authority. The Roshbaum has a different take. And the Roshbaum has a different take because the Roshbaum has read the, the, uh, the Bavli and is definitely taking his take from the Bavli. Um, and there's a funny uh, typo in the Rashbam, but I'll correct it as, as I read it. And um, and uh, the um, Sota that he's going to reference is, I'm almost certain, where Ginsburg is going to go. But when I finish, I want to hear if this is where Ginsburg goes. So Larry's going to share with us afterwards. So Rashbam says the following. Vayahas. What does that mean? This whole silencing business? Shikam b'chokmato. He got clever with them. He got them quiet by being clever. He tricked them into being quiet. So what does this mean that he tricked them into being quiet? I would love for somebody who has a source sheet in front of them to read for us dramatically, if you may. I see Joanna's face. Maybe Joanna will read it for us. Dramatically pausing in between the three parts that I put here in the English, dramatically, not the Aramaic. The Aramaic's not not as clear. Dramatically in the English from Sota 35a, what Caleb purportedly did. Would you would you do it, Joanna? I would, except that I picked it yesterday, but I forgot to print before Shabbat. So I oh, actually no. don't have it in front of me at this moment. Uh, okay. All right. Otherwise, I'd have you do it. Would someone else like to do it dramatically? Otherwise, I'll do it. All right. I will do it. I'll do a dramatic read. And then we'll find out what Ginsburg has to say. But I really, when I found this read from Sota, I thought, that's such great politics. And it's a great story. Here we go. So the verse states, this is our verse. Vayahas Kalev etaam el Moshe. Okay. Rabba, one of the characters in the Talmud, says this means that he persuaded them, Hesitan, with his words. Because Vayahas and Hesitan come from the same root in Hebrew. Okay? So that's where Rashbam, by the way, is getting his Chochmato read. Because it's a convincing. He says. He's not really quieting them. He's convincing. By the way, I love this because I think that it fixes this hushing thing. I don't think the hushing thing actually makes all that much sense because in the shot of the Torah, right, in the plain read of the Torah, nobody's all that loud or riled up. Anyway, I digress from the story. So, says he persuaded them with words. Next part. Caleb, he says to himself, if I speak... They will also say something about me, right? Say something bad about me, presumably, and stop me from speaking. He began to speak and said to them, 
And is this the only thing that the son of Amram, that is Moshe, has done to us? And they thought that he wanted to relate something to the discredit of Moshe. And they were silent, right? So what does he do? He says, this guy, he always wants to do something. This isn't the first thing he's done to us. El Moshe, right? And so they all get quiet. And then what does Caleb say? He then says to them, he took us out of Egypt and he split the sea for us and he fed us manna. If he says to us, build ladders and climb to the heavens, should we not listen to him? We should go up at once, even to the heavens and possess it, which is quoting another verse later in, um, in, in, uh, or earlier in Bamidbar, as if he knows, um, Bamidbar back in and forwards. I love this. I love this so much because it's such great rhetoric. Uh, he's, he's a rhetorician, our Caleb, right? He's the opposite of quiet Joshua. He's, He's a rhetorician who knows how to spin and get the crowd quiet enough, but by tricking, and it sort of fixes this funny part in the verse. Larry, what did Ginsburg have to say about this? So, so you're right. He had some other things, too. So right. I'll, just, I'll just, I'm not going to read because it's a little bit too long. That's okay. Uh, we have I, time. Well, it's, it's about three pages, so. Oh, oh okay. All right. <laughs> we don't have time, but whatever you want to add. He tells a midrash, he tells a midrash that I, I don't know. I'm just learning how to use this and go to the index to find the other sources. But he tells the Midrash that apparently Caleb had this big booming voice. And we know it was a big booming voice because he, in fact, saved the, the, the spies from the Anakim, from the giants who were chasing after him in some Midrash with his voice. And we also are told that his voice could extend to to uh, 12, I think it said, not kilometers, but anyways, it, this huge expanse of territory which is where this thing was taking place. So everybody can hear him. Now, you're exactly right. He, he starts off and he, he basically leads them to believe that he's on their side. And he knows that they shouted down Joshua and they attacked him. And that's why Joshua couldn't speak. So he needs to find a way to get them to allow him to speak. And he does it in this way by saying, look at what uh, Moshe did, just as you described, and just as Sota, as Sota describes. And then he goes on and he explains uh, this. This what's in Sota is pretty much what, um, what what Ginsburg says. I have a comment on it before the comment. Unfortunately, as you continue to read, it says Caleb's mighty voice did not, however, in the least impress the people or the spies. For the latter, far from retracting the previous statement, went so far as to say, "We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we." They are so strong that even God cannot get to that, get at them. And it goes on. And the end of the Midrash here is they said that, that they were giants in our eyes and we were as um, grasshoppers in their sight. And God got mad. And this is not in the Torah. God got mad and they said, how the hell do you know what they what, what I let them see you as? Right. So that's that's the that's how it links to the end of the story. My comment, I think, which, which is your comment, too. This is so real in terms of politics. No, nobody wants to listen to you if you're simply going to directly refute what, what it is that you're saying. So if your opponent, so to speak, or politically someone you know is on the other side, you, you don't read them. 
But you listen to the guys who are on your side who maybe have something to say that you disagree with. They may not convince you, but at least you're more likely to read them. That That's... That's exactly right. Uh, I think that we are um, we are attuned to the critical, and uh, it would be great of us to, you know, just to know that about ourselves. Secondly, to push ourselves to open ourselves up to other voices, but to use that as a tool in our own explorations of the world. Um, it reminds me of a scene I hope that I'm not spoiling for anyone because it's a very small plot point in the last season of Stissel, but there's a really wonderful scene in which uh, Shulam, the the patriarch of the family, his uh, the school that he's he would like to launch a new school is going to be um, is being protested. And he sends his son down among the protesters to seed rumors that his father is, uh, he sends his son anonymously, you know, to, to uh, down among the protesters to seed rumors that even his, um, he, he's ha- even uh, forcing his own grandchildren to be tested to the highest levels uh, you know, he's not automatically accepting his own grandsons. What a terrible uh, grandfather he is. He's not even accepting his own grandsons without giving them the highest testing levels uh, before letting them in. And this rumor starts to spread. And all of a sudden people are talking about, oh, well, the, he's he's testing people at the highest levels. Oh, gosh. And so it sort of shuts down the protest. Um, and it reminds me of this idea, right? You only want to hear sort of the critical and the terrible thing about that person you already see in a critical way. And that's the thing that opens the door to your listening to whatever might come next, whatever the next move is. Uh, I, I think um, what what I most appreciate about this verse and these many, many takes on this verse to wrap on this conversation is that our common and I really are wondering where Moshe is in this moment because he is in the verse, but the character himself is not active in this verse. And we do have to wonder what kind of a diplomacy and what kind of a rhetoric he was hoping for from these spies who he had sent out. We know ultimately how the story shakes out, but what we don't necessarily know is what he wanted and what he hoped for from these men who came back and made the reports that they did. And I think that this is a wrestling with with the way uh, in which other people stepped up comfortably or uncomfortably to try to quiet this um, this discomfort with moving to the next stage in their people's life and possibly in some ways i wonder if this is one of the first places in our torah where we as we're reading along are witnessing the first time when moshe is beginning to see what his people are going to be facing in uh in new generations of leadership uh, this this is what's going to come. He knows. 
He, he knows that there is going to be a new generation of leadership. Um, and we're watching that play out. We're watching that argument play out right here in this moment. We're watching the, the new generations of leadership try to see what's going to come next. He won't witness it in his lifetime, Moshe, um, but he is seeing what's going to happen when the people have to wrestle with whoever their next leaders are going to be. And it's going to be different. Very, very different. Uh, a different melech, so to speak. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.